All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch MoneyWise on your favorite podcast mobile phone applications. So don't forget the MoneyWise podcast. So as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 353 points, or 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 72 points, or 1.7%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 279 points. Now, we just finished the second quarter of uh, 2021. So let's go over those quarterly performance numbers. The Dow for the second quarter was up 4.6%. The S&P 500 for the second quarter was up 8.2%. And the NASDAQ for the second quarter was up 9.5%. And finally, that brings us to the year-to-date numbers. The Dow is up 13.7% year-to-date. The S&P 500 is up 15.9% year-to-date. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 13.6%. And I believe on Friday, all the major market averages, the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ, all had closing highs. That is right. They had all-time highs. And, I, whoa, look at the NASDAQ. I mean, what a second quarter. Now, obviously, first quarter was not uh, the best quarter for the NASDAQ with a lot of rotation coming out of the higher price earning multiple tech names and some profit taking as we had as we had done here at Davidson Capital in the first quarter of 2021 but boy what a comeback it was like the horse rounding the bin at the back of the pack and it's definitely had a fantastic second quarter and what's also amazing is now that we're through the first half of the football game as dad likes to likes to say in years past we've got four quarters to the football game we're now at halftime but i would i, I would venture to say that the performance of the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ have all exceeded our expectations when we had our first show for the new year and our expectations for the markets. Yeah, that, I, I think I was the most bullish out of everyone. I had the S&P up 15% for the entire year. Well, we're already in excess of that with dividends. The S&P 500 is pushing almost, seven. I think, a little over 17% with dividends through Friday. Uh, 
I would be remiss if I if I didn't say that I'm a little concerned about how far and how fast things have come here of late. I think this was the seventh straight day in a row the S&P has been up and you have to go back to last year for that number of days in a row with the S&P up. Uh, when was the last time we had a 10% correction? Does anybody, either one of you guys, remember the last I time mean, we had a 10% correction? We definitely have not. I mean, we definitely have not. I would, yeah, I would probably say September, October timeframe of last year. The last time we had any kind of sub, any kind of correction was some, you know, substantial. Well, and I mean, no correction, as they always say, the Wall Street talking heads that a correction is a healthy thing for the market because if you think about it the way I like to describe it, it's like climbing a mountain. You can't climb Mount Everest in just one one you know, you start at the base and you work your way all the way to the top without pausing, without maybe coming back down the mountain a little bit to, to set up a base camp. And that's kind of the same action that we see in the market. Now, historically, July has been one of the most solid months for positive returns for the stock market. Now, I'm not saying it's the biggest positive month, but just historically has the most consistency of being a positive month. And I can tell you with a lot of the hand-wringing concerning the Fed and when they're going to start talking about tapering their quantitative easing program and with the Jackson Hole uh, Fed conference that takes place towards the end of August, you know, I have a feeling, just my personal feelings, that we'll, we'll see a solid Solid returns, another positive return for the markets in July, maybe not as as good as we've seen this past month, but I think things are going to get a little bit more choppy when we get into August and the talking heads in the financial entertainment press start ramping up the rhetoric about what's going to be said during the Jackson Hole Symposium at the end of August. One little, uh, another point about the previous quarter's performance, and you know, we commented how much the NASDAQ was, how far ahead the NASDAQ was uh, ahead of the Dow in terms of performance last quarter. But another uh, issue that we've been talking about all year long is how value had been doing so much better than growth, uh, really, especially in the first quarter. Now, in the second quarter, it was a, it was a totally different story from the large cap, of mid-cap stocks, uh, growth performance was double what value performance was. In the small-cap arena, it was close to even it was, uh, when it came to growth versus value. So you know, growth has made a comeback uh, for sure. It is uh, Value is still uh, leading for the year <clears throat> uh, from slightly. our – Slightly. Slightly. Uh, we were definitely. You know, we made many many changes to the portfolio, especially in the second quarter. Uh, many of those changes were were geared towards reallocating the portfolio to some extent away from growth and and a little bit more into the value side of the portfolio. The barbell approach that we we've talked about here on the show. You know, and I was looking at our our overall stock performance just for the quarter, and we were very much even with the S and P five hundred uh, for the quarter. Yes, Joe. Well, I know we're running out of time. We can get to the next segment, but the number one performing industry so far year to date is energy. By the way, 
Well, energy has definitely had its day in the sun, but when you look back, energy has been one of the worst performers going back 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. So every dog has its day in the sun. And I'm not saying the energy industry is a dog by any stretch of the imagination, but it's definitely been the best performing industrial sector. And I can tell you with the infighting that's taking place with OPEC, not being able to come to a decision about oil output, from their meeting on Friday, they're going to be pushing that into next week to determine if they're going to be raising barrel production uh, for the oil industry. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget the Money Wise podcast that you can catch on any one of your favorite podcast mobile applications. So before we went to the commercial break, if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, just recapping this past week on Wall Street. And before we went to commercial break, talking about the best performing sector so far for the year, and that is being the energy industry. And as I'd mentioned, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020 have not been very friendly to the energy industry. And so it's finally starting to catch a bit. It's finally starting to catch buying. And they're still in fighting within OPEC, they did not come to a decision on Friday as whether or not to increase oil production and capacity. So we'll see after we get back from the 4th of July holiday if they finally make the determination to increase uh, oil production. I mean, we obviously know what the Biden administration has done so far to the oil industry here in the United States. Going, you know, we went from energy independent to now we're becoming more energy dependent from outside production, outside producers, because, you know, you shut down the XL pipeline. That's not a good thing. Well, generally, when you see prices increase the way that they have, and I, and I, I was looking for the statistic here real quick, I, I, I thought I had read that the prices at the pump for gasoline uh, over the 4th of July weekend are the highest we've seen in a number of years. Generally, when you see prices increase for oil the way that it has, it usually leads to more production because as a capitalist, like, well, if what I have in the ground is now more valuable than it was six months ago, a year ago, I'm going to get it out of the ground while, while the prices are high. And that typically means production gets increased, which, which offsets higher but by, prices. But by it how makes, much? It, it, it's not an instantaneous occurrence. It takes time. Uh, for it to happen, there's a there's a lag. How long is that lag? Well, none of us are real experts on on oil here on the Money Wise Show, but we've seen oil oil prices go up and down, and we we have some participation in our portfolio in the energy patch. We've had participation for more, I think more than a year in in various energy related companies. So we're participating in that. And might, as might, dad, might as even get more say, participation. As dad would say, if he was here on the show with us today, he said, well, you know, higher oil prices isn't bad for South Texas. It is not no. bad for Texas. 
No, it's it's not it's not bad for Texas, but here's the bottom line. Anyone that has an automobile, motorcycle, truck, it doesn't matter. It's a higher tax no matter mm. what socioeconomic background you come from. So it's a tax it, it for is, everybody. And it, and it reaches a, a, a point where people start to think about, okay, well, I need to plan my this this set of trips better so that I spend less time driving back and forth and that reduces that reduces demand and, and the whole process you know repeats well all I, over can, again. I can tell you on friday i went to the pumps you know here in san antonio three dollars and 45 cents for 93 octane and that used to be well below three dollars so every single person that goes to the pump across this country is feeling it and when you look at prices <clears throat> in california five six seven dollars a gallon it's absolute insanity and, and it's almost like you're, you're starting to catch wind of what the Biden administration is trying to do, trying to force everybody to electric vehicles. And electric vehicles definitely have their place. But I read an interesting article in Market Watch earlier this week that we're not going to eliminate oil out of our life anytime soon. It, no matter how much they're doing for EV or all these auto manufacturers by 2035, not producing any more gasoline engines. I, I personally, I'll believe that when I see it, because I'm sorry, as a car person. Well, what are we I, supposed I, to I, have flying cars by now? Oh, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, hovercraft. I, hovercraft. <laughs> the, 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 the bottom line, the bottom line is, 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 is I still like to hear the roar and the rumble of an engine yeah. and you can't get that from an EV. And that might be good if you do a lot of daily commuting in, in the inner city. But, but here's the bottom line. We have to have the infrastructure to be able to charge these vehicles, which we're far behind as far as creating that infrastructure for charging stations. But here's the other thing. <clears throat> What's powering all of these charging stations? Most likely, at least in the state of Texas, it's going to be natural gas. So we still have to be doing some type of oil and gas production into the foreseeable future to be able to generate the energy to power these charging stations. And that's what I don't think these environmentalists have thought long and hard enough about of what's creating the power, what's being burned, what's being used to create this energy for these charging stations. Well, so, and, and you also look at, at – at goods and services and you look at plastic i mean that's right i, I mean, I mean what are we gonna what's the alternative for plastic are we how be many how many products are we using on a daily basis that involve oil oil and gas industry plastic I guess bottle I'm a, out of. a biodegradable bag that you can carry your laundry detergent in i think that'll be the next thing they come up with joe what about what about it's our clothes work. joe Sorry. what about our clothes <laughs> okay <laughs> If we're wearing, I mean, you look at some of these golf shirts, the Under Armour, all these athletic, you know, Lululemon. What do you think all these products are made of? Of course, North Face caught a whole lot of shade when they decided they weren't going to produce uh, gear for an oil company saying, oh, we don't want to support your industry. And what the CEO did was absolutely brilliant. He made this full commercial and he said, well, North Face, do you realize that about 95% of the products you sell are all made from oil they all are, are, are made from byproducts from oil well don't, so, don't let the facts get in the way of a good cause okay? that's, that's right <laughs> J yeah just like the democrats don't, don't let a crisis go to waste i mean so, most, so the bottom line is most of the time energy should be a part of anyone's portfolio it, there it, have been there have been time periods when it hasn't been a part of our portfolio at all uh but those are pretty rare and few and far between 
Uh, it's making a comeback. But well, they're, they're, come back. They're, they're definitely a part of the portfolio today. And, and, and this is just, you know, investing 101. There used to be a thing called, there's a thing called a Callan chart that shows all the asset classes year over year. And you could look at industry sometimes. What was the worst performing asset class or industry last year? Energy. Energy. This year it's the first. And you look well, at well, I would have thought it would have been travel and leisure. Mm -hmm. Which no, was, which 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 which, which tied, has a tie in tie in to yeah, oil to, to oil, but but energy has been has been a, a market lagger going back multiple years. It wasn't just last year. I mean, it didn't have a good year 2019, 2018, 2017. It, it's it's really been taking it on the chin. So there's still a lot of even though it's it's the top performing asset class and industry this year. You still I can still find energy companies that are 50% below their 52-week high. Uh, you can still. In reviews, we see a lot of it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing, Joe. When, when, we, when, we see port, when we do portfolio reviews, we start to see some over-allocation to the energy industry that has been over-allocated over to en energy for quite a number of years, which has been very detrimental to the portfolio. But typically, when we do portfolio reviews, we see a lot of this set it and forget it. And the one thing that we have taught going back 16 years of doing the MoneyWise program is you can't set it and forget it. You have to constantly be digging deeper, constantly doing homework, and it has to be actively managed. Oh. You can't just set your allocation and, and just it, think everything is okay. And, and Jeff, you brought this up on last weekend's show, some complacency. It's very hard when the, the markets have performed this well for this long for investors to get excited about going and looking at their portfolios and digging deeper into what they own and how it's allocated because they're going to get another statement. You know, June was a positive month for the markets. And so they're going to get another statement that shows that they were up for the year. But you know, the and, and, and when you're, when you've made, when you're, when you're getting month after month statement showing positive returns in your portfolio, it typically gets just shifted aside and out of sight, out of mind. Well, I'm doing well. You know, how many times we, 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 we speak What's with folks well? and, and, and we so how's your portfolio doing? My portfolio is doing good or it's doing well. Well, okay. What does that mean? Or I've got an annuity. Well, how's your, how's your variable annuity doing? Well, it's, it's doing good. It, it's making money. I said, have you ever thought about taking a, a, a real deep look at how well or how quote unquote good is good? Because you might be very surprised that you're leaving a lot of money on the table when it comes to fees and expenses. And one other thing we've noticed is that when the market goes through more trauma, more of a prolonged sideways movement or down movement over a protracted period of time, that's when we seem to be getting the most phone calls and where our phones are, are being lit up off the hook because now they're looking to make a change when instead before the storm comes, having the portfolio review and analysis to make sure that your portfolio is prepared to weather the storm, as opposed to getting on the other side of the storm and realizing your portfolio wasn't prepared because you had the complacency, because you were seeing the continuous month over month positive returns in your so, portfolio. So you're saying make sure you weatherproof your portfolio. Yeah, your, your portfolio always needs to be weatherproof, but the way that you weatherproof it is that it has to be actively managed.
It has to be actively managed first and foremost. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, if you've missed any portions of the MoneyWise program or want to hear past MoneyWise programs, you can always check out the MoneyWise podcast either through iHeart or any of your favorite podcast applications. So well, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about weatherproofing and Jeff, you said kind of more weather resistant, but it really, I think the point is, is that when we have the kind of markets like we've had post the COVID pandemic, where investors are receiving continuous month over month positive statements in their portfolio, they think, hey, everything is great in my portfolio. Everything is going well. But Jeff, the point that you're making before the break is, well, what does well mean? Do you know or do you not know whether or not you're leaving money on the table? Could your portfolio be allocated and actively managed in a more efficient and effective way to get you to your goals faster? What we typically see at Davidson Capital is after we have more traumatic events in the market is when we start to see a lot more activity, but it's after the fact. More, much more activity as far as prospective clients coming in saying, oh man, my portfolio just got hammered and this is how far I'm down and I'm not getting back to zero fast enough. I mean, we saw this all the time after the financial crisis where some prospective clients were coming in two to three years after the bottom and they still had not gotten back to where they began 2008 from the financial crisis. And I guess the biggest piece of advice we can give to any listener is not to have complacency in your portfolio. And even though you might feel that you're doing well, are you really doing that well? Is your, does your portfolio have some weather resistance in it? Does it have the ability to make it through a storm? Does it have the active management to where it's going to be adjusted and reallocated properly if those storm clouds turn into a torrential downpour. And that's something that you really have to think about. This is where complacency gets investors in so much trouble. Yeah, Joe. Well, I think adding to that, what does your playbook look like if you do have an adverse market and you have a correction? What are the things you're going to sell first? And do you have that strategy? And do you have a strategy on when you're going to buy back in? As part of being an active manager and what we've relied on that last year and obviously 2008 is having a set playbook that we can go to in times like that. Now, if you just set it and forget it and you just hope that it's going to come back, that's the exact scenario Kyle was talking about in 2008 when people were down 35, 40%, they got back two or three years later and they started investing again. I mean, like you said, they missed out on a heck of a run. You better have a playbook. Should you have a situation like we've had last year in 2008 and you need to stick to it. And Joe, you just used the worst four-letter word when it comes to investing, hope. Hope. 
that's one thing that dad taught Jeff and I from the very beginning is that hope is a bad four letter word. And the, the thing is, what we truly believe at Davidson Capital is the best offense is a heck of a good defense. And that comes with asset allocation. It comes with active management. It comes with security selection. But you're right, Joe. We know right now as we sit that if there is a dramatic market event come Tuesday, we know exactly what we're going to do. We know exactly where we're going to go in the portfolio to start raising cash instantaneously. We know that. The question to all of our listeners, do you guys know that? Do you know in your portfolio what you would do if we come in on Tuesday and the market is down two or 3,000 points or there is a geopolitical event that could possibly be very prolonged in the market and cause a dramatic downturn? Well, I would think the question should be asked if you're working with somebody, ask your advisor. Yeah, what's their game plan? Do they have one? Uh, Are they even a money manager? But, well, that's secret. the thing. You uh, most, of, most of them uh, you know, don't, aren't even managing money. And so the question is going to get asked to someone that doesn't actually make the investment decision. They're just maintaining the relationship. And, and, I've, and you know what the first words are going to be out of their mouths are. It's going to be, well, we're investing for the long term. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, everybody's investing for the long term until the, until – the bottom until, falls out. Until, until something changes. <laughs> until they get yeah. hit in the mouth. And, until, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Until and, get punched and, in the mouth. Until, until, until COVID comes along That's and right. it goes down 30% in a month, That's right? Or taper tantrum or there's well, a There's all kinds of different things. Fed but turning hawkish. I still wanted to you know, round, round back to fees. You know, would people complacent about okay well i'm just i'm making money i'm doing good or i'm my portfolio is doing quote unquote well all right well what are you paying for good and well how much is good or well costing you great point because unless you know really where to look most folks don't really know where to look to see what they're paying Mm -hmm. they don't understand the internal fees and expenses of mutual funds they don't understand proprietary products they they they're told one thing by their advisor in terms of what they're paying for money management but the 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 disclosure documents say something else they don't understand sub advisor relationships they might not understand that the person that they're working with again is not the actual money manager they're not the asset manager they're not the decision maker when a change happens in the portfolio they might not have a single clue of why that actually occurred and then you have to ask yourself as an investor is that the kind of relationship i want to have do i want to work with someone in a, a middle person do i want to work with a middle person or actually with a person that's making the investment decisions that i can look in the white of their eyes about the decisions they're making Go ahead, Joe. Well, Kyle mentioned you talk about sub-advisors. And back in the day when I worked for a pretty large Wall Street firm, you would have different sub-advisors. You'd have a small cap manager, an international manager, or a large cap manager. Well, good luck making a phone call and getting out of one of those sub-advisors in about a two-minute period. So part of why we use exchange-traded funds is to have that ejection seat, if you will, where if we do have a somewhat of a catastrophic event in the market, we have the ability to get liquid very quickly. So if you're dealing with an, adv- an advisor or a portfolio and there are all these sub-advised portfolios, how quickly can they get out of that? Um, how fast can they move? Question. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What, what is their speed of mobility 
and like you said, Joe, to be able to, to get out and move, but, but right to Jeff's point, the, the response is going to be, oh, well, we're in it for the long term. Well, guess what, folks? At Davidson Capital Management, we are a long-term money manager. We deal with serious assets, typically the pre-retiree or retired nest eggs. That's what we manage. But, but just because we're managing and managing long-term assets and our philosophy is long-term, that doesn't mean that we don't make changes. That doesn't mean that we're not actively, manage, actively managing the assets. And when we see the market, when things change and adjust in real time, we have to be prepared to be making those changes in real time, not just, oh, well, market's gone down 5,000 points in the last two weeks. We're just going to kind of sit on the sideline. We'll just see how things, how things play out because we're long-term managers. No, it's about playing a great defense. That's what builds and maintains long-term wealth is how shallow you keep your hole on the downside. It's not always about capturing every single percentage point on the upside, it's keeping your hole shallow on the downside. You lose 50% of the value of your account. You have to make 100% just to get back to where you started. Now, think about that. So if you lost 30 or 40% during the 2008-2009 financial crisis, you're having to make 70 80% return just to get back to where you started. Now, we don't see – there's nothing happening in the markets right now that we believe there is a no. decline of that magnitude that's imminent uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but because we have – we our portfolios always have a component of cash and always have a component of fixed income bonds, uh, we're never invested 100% stocks in a moderate asset allocation portfolio or conservative asset allocation portfolio. Even, even our most our, aggressive. Even our most aggressive, there is still a cash portion and some bonds <clears throat> in those types of allocations. So there's all there's something to help offset if something went wrong, uh, you know, overnight in a portfolio. Uh, call it the stress. You know, we're always stress testing our portfolios. You know, the Federal Reserve is out stress testing the banks. We're all we're we're stress testing our portfolios. See, but I got I think, a one-liner today too, Joe. <laughs> I like that one. Well, well, well. See, here's the other thing: is I think it's it's not prudent for investors, really, no matter what age, to to constantly be swinging for the fences. That is a very very dangerous investment philosophy if you're managing the assets yourself. Uh, and we see this swinging for the fences, particularly in the meme stocks that kind of get rich quick. We are not advocates for any investor to be going into creating a portfolio or working with a money manager where their philosophy is we're going to get rich quick. And if you're talking to someone who's pitching you pie in the sky, rates of return, show me. Show me these returns. Show me compliant performance numbers that pass compliance that are gips approved gips approved compliance show me that because in, in, until then swinging for the fences is a very very dangerous philosophy and unfortunately we've talked about the meme stocks on this program the past couple of months you hear these stories about these young investors, this getting rich quick, or your neighbor has made $80,000 on GameStop and he's wanting to draw you in to get in a Robinhood account and start 
trading options and doing things very crazy. That is not anything we would be recommending for any listener of this program to get involved in. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. All emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast in case you'd like to hear past Money Wise programs or catch up on this weekend show. You can catch the Money Wise podcast on the iHeart app or any one of your favorite podcast channels. So I just wanted to kind of follow up what I was saying right before we went to commercial break, talking about the meme stocks and kind of swinging for the fences is not a prudent investment management philosophy that we'd recommend for anyone. And I understand there might be some listeners of this program that have made great money in these meme stocks or doing some very aggressive trading and options. And we congratulate you, you know, but it's time to, you know, there's also a time where you have to take profits scrape those profits, maybe use the house money to continue to invest in those types of stocks, and then start building yourself a nest egg that's being managed in a more conservative, active management philosophy for the longer term. Uh, Because at Davidson Capital Management, we're all about building long-term average, singles and doubles, singles and doubles. Now, that doesn't mean that occasionally we'll hit a triple or hit one over the fence, but that's not what our investment management philosophy is designed for. And we just, again, it's all erring on the side of being prudent and being a fiduciary and doing what's right based on risk tolerance and risk capacity of each and every single one of our clients. I will say the last week, I haven't heard much about Bitcoin or any of the meme stocks. The media seems to have moved on to something else. Um, Now it's all about, uh, it's all about Virgin Galactic and Jeff Bezos. On Friday, Jeff Bezos was his last day. And all the IBOs, all the IPOs that are coming to market too. That's right. Robinhood being one of them. I did Uh, read a story that uh, chair, the, Chairman Powell met with the CEO of Coinbase in May. Wonder what was that all? What, what that was all about? Interesting. Very inter- Very interesting. Well, we we know we know we know communist China is thinking about doing it a digital yuan. So maybe that's another reason why they're kicking out all the Bitcoin miners out of China and why they're coming to Texas because they're wanting to do their own digital currency and their national currency, the yuan. So who knows? We'll see. So we'll talk a little bit about last week's uh, economic news, which I think contributed to the the uh, good performance for the stock market across the board last week. Uh, pending home sales were up 8% in May uh, and 13% from one year ago. Uh, pending home sales rebounded strongly in May, reaching the highest reading ever for the month of May since 2005. Construction spending was down mostly due on non-residential uh, sectors like building office buildings, which well, should that, be, that's a shouldn't, be, shouldn't be a big surprise <laughs> no. you know, after, after the pandemic. Either. I mean, there, there's no, there, the supply is tough to come by too. The so big, 
lumber has definitely come down about 50 percent but it's 40, still, yeah down 40 percent in the last month but it's still elevated year over year significantly elevated but we still have those supply chain bottlenecks and that's what's causing inflation and again we're not going to get into it but we're, it's still the $64,000 question of what level of inflation is transitory and what level is not. I, I guess and so the far, the, still out. The, the market, well, the market's saying it, it's transitory, at least it's, for now. Well, it, but, but I think after we get through July and we start getting towards August and the Jackson Hole Symposium, you know, we're definitely long overdue for any kind of substantive correction now, how long that would last and how deep it would go. Right now, it seems like the corrections have really been around the 5 to 7% range. So, you know, when those algorithms, we don't know where their trigger point is on the downside to start buying back in. Yeah, but if there's, if there's real concerns about inflation, what did, what did interest rates do this week? Well, with the yields, yields were down, down this week. 1.431% on a 10-year Treasury yield. It was one and a half percent in the prior week. So there doesn't seem to be too much concern there seemed, about There inflation. doesn't seem to be much concern about inflation from the perspective of bond investors. That's right. Well, one other statistic that came out this past week was we, we had the employment report mm -hmm. on Friday where we saw 850,000 jobs created, which was a little bit above expectations. Uh, we saw the unemployment rate tick up to 5.9%. Still have 7 million people unemployed. Wages were up about three-tenths of 1%. Um, so the way Art Cashin put it, it was kind of a Goldilocks report. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. We still have 7 million unemployed, but again, we still have these extra unemployment benefits going out across the country. I know Texas is going to be ending them sooner rather than later compared to some other states. But when you see wages only up three-tenths, I think really what, what the report came out is that a lot of the jobs that were filled were definitely in the travel and hospitality uh, arena. In fact, 340,000 of those 850,000 jobs were in the travel and leisure sector. Uh, and I know just, you know, talking to a friend of mine who's opening up a restaurant here in the San Antonio area, he's having a tough time to fill crews and he needs about 40, maybe close to 50 people to fill his crew for his restaurant that he is still yet to open. So and he's having a tough time finding people. The only other statistic for the week on Friday was factory orders for the month of May, which were up 1.7%, which is a nice rebound from the previous month that was down. Next week's economic news, there is none. The only thing newsworthy to me is the, F, the Federal Open Market Committee minutes, but how much, how, how news, newsworthy they, are they gonna be? Probably not much. But there's not a, you know, with the Monday with Monday's market being closed, we only have a four four day trading week next week. No economic news. I don't think we have much in the way of earnings. I think it's the week following is when we really get into earn, earning season in earnest. That next week is kind of the lull in between the ending of the quarter and starting the beginning of second quarter earnings season, which the comparisons are still going to be weak year over year. So I would, I would suspect that the earnings season is just going to be another strong one. But as we're coming up to the top of the hour break, and before we close out for our listeners on 1200 WAI in San Antonio, we want to wish everyone a very happy and very safe 4th of July holiday. Um, and again, for our listeners in San Antonio on 1200 WAI, if you'd like to catch 
more of the Money Wise program, catch our second hour where we're going to continue with some investor education. You can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can always catch the Money Wise podcast on the iHeartMedia app. Plus, you can catch us on Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, oh, you name it, iTunes. You can always catch our podcast there. And for listeners to Money Wise on 1360 KKTX and Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor it, continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as we like to do in most of the second hours uh, of every weekend's MoneyWise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I, I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chalked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental issues? Because I guess it's kind of like getting your high school diploma. Maybe we call this this is the way you get your retirement diploma. Is you have to you have to get at least a passing grade. And we'll I guess we'll, we'll go with seventy five percent. Seventy five percent is passing grade on this quiz. So I think we just kick it off with question number one. Now, research by Fidelity Investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age sixty seven in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. Now, this question has been – we've heard so many different – is it four times? Is it five times? Is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary. B is six times the salary. C is eight times the salary. Or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. And the answer to that question is answer C eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part 
on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But there is a big but here. There's always a catch. (laughs) This is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67. These numbers to me, I I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurd large, honestly. $800,000. Well, think about $800,000. Yeah. Now, remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made $10,000 a year back in the late 60s. It's called inflation, Papa I, Son. I know that, but, but, but when you see this number, uh, $800,000, I, I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey. And so I guess what I'm saying is I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that you I mean, that's just a absurdly intimidating number. Well, remember, the part of this quiz is to set goals for oneself, and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that Americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement. That's why quizzes like this, that's why we do these educational hours on the Money Wise program like we do, is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement, and have I saved enough? Am I doing enough towards my retirement? Uh, and if I'm not, I need to really get on the ball. But don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very, very little, that your retirement's completely shot. I mean, again, you have to get on it. I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Dad, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of examples. Our grandparents... Our grandparents didn't have $800,000 when they retired, and they, they lived. Actually, actually my, my, my grandfather probably did have well, $800,000. But, but, I, but I'm retired. thinking about your parents yes. and, no, mom, no. and mom's no. parents. No, I'm, th- no, I'm, no, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last 25 years. Yes, yes. No, that's true. And they, had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what, what, I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle, is – I, when, I think when, this no, number no, no, scares me, people. Well, I, and it does. It is a scary number. It, it, but it is used to scare people to get them to think about. But, their but we've also we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year. And we think that that's awfully low. And we think the reason they set it at four percent is one so that they can continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible, to keep as much money on their, on their, in their care and control, if you will, so they can keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we can keep, we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out so that we can, again, collect more fees and expenses from folks. 
Okay. So question number two. A popular rule of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%. Now, the answer is C, 85%. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, people no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz. Think you're ready to retire? And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And all emails can be sent to moneywise at Davidson Cap. So before we went to the last commercial break, I was on uh, question number two of the quiz, kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement, and the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement. Dad, I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well, well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number. And, I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up. Because you think it's too overwhelming? It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for 28-year-old people after they've been out in the world I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So, in high school, maybe, and you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore, uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics one hundred and one should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz. Let's to take. flash back. I'm in the you know I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late 60s and get into it heavy in the 70s, we have a pension plan. I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And, and I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. You know, and every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401K with them Wherever they go. Wherever they go. And but, so, but they have to participate. But they have to participate. And so what I'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers, I, I fear that most of the people, the baby boomers, or the first 10 years of the baby boomers, they're done. They were in these same plans. They didn't start their 401Ks until the 80s. There's no way in the world they've got these kind of numbers. 
They just aren't going to have these kind of numbers. Not, not the majority of the people. It's almost as if these first two questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before, and they have a 28 years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand new cars yeah. in, in the garage. You know, in the real world, most of the most of the people who had, when they retire. Their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt, and no credit card debt." And, 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 and they and they've prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like you're talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pensions usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is of it, their retirement savings. is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have no, a million dollars retirement? No, not. is is it bad to want to have seventy or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No, that's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay. But but with all this said, again, if you are in your 50s, early 50s, mid 50s, and you haven't saved that much, we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement. No, no. We're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can. But also, like Jeff was saying, focus on your consumer debts. Fo- you know, focus on you know reducing car loans, expenses. Reducing expenses because see that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down with your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need. Mm-hmm. And, and again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take like the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending. Because I think, Dad, some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with, with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac, and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny. And I've been, and I've been uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it. And so it makes our, our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So question number three. Question number three. Jeff. What percentage of surveyed workers aged 55 and above said they or their spouse have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement. A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%. And the correct answer is C. Only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up forty two is up from forty two percent in two thousand and three. So 
the good news is is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save this this uh, savings need calculation. Well, I just think that again, this is something that everyone can do. And I hope that we're part of getting that number up. We, absolutely. And, and as we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing it, is there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project you know, what potential retirement income you need. Am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have? Utilize the Internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators and you can spend all day having fun with calculations and the computer program does everything for you and it's free of charge. Also, one other thing I didn't say, I think the 92 is really a ridiculously high number. As age. far as living? Yes. I, I, I don't. If think you that... look at the actuarial charts though, Dad, right now someone age 65, they have a better than 50% chance to live well into their 80s Yeah, that, uh, with modern advances in medicine. So uh, you can disagree with it, but I the totally disagree. Are there. I think that I mean there is very few people are going to live to be ninety two. Very very few. I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. So question number four: Among workers age fifty five plus, what percentage think they need to save quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement, and what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer is 54%, about half of the 55-plus demographic, thinks a nest egg of at least 250000 not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four, or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000. So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800000 in question number one. We come back here on question number four, and we're saying... But that's 800000 based on a $100,000 household income, Dad. So if you make $50,000, But what I'm saying here is we, we can't even get more than one in four people to have $250,000. I know. That's why we're doing this survey, to no. really get people to start thinking. And it's kind of a, not, I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to, to, to wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, see, a quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live 18 years plus plus past the age of 65, all of a sudden you put 20 years into $250,000. That's not a lot of money. That's about 12500 a year. Yeah. That's not, that's, you're not going to be on it's any a grand needs. a month. Yeah, that's not going to get you anywhere. So th- that's, why, that's why when we're talking these numbers, this is the more sobering number to me. I mean, see, the 800 number just goes over my head. What I want to focus on and what our listeners will focus on is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. Not if you live 15, 20 years in it retirement. It is not. And yet, it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't hey. No, so, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of your how many years you're, you think you're going to live. You've got to watch your actuarials and see where they are, and you have to plan accordingly. You think people are going to live to be in their 90s. 
Uh, no, 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 no. I, they're statistically, I mean, these I, are statistics I'm, just, I'm spouting. I'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92. No, that that's that's absolutely true. And only one in four have got that number. That's well, no, and, and what's what's even worse though, and this is thirty six percent of of age fifty five plus. Thirty six percent of this group have reported to have saved less than ten thousand dollars. Now that that is a sobering statistic. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. Go into the news. When we come back, we'll be continuing. So you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we're continuing the quiz that came out of the wall street journal think you're ready to retire that's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz and we've gotten to question number five now, question number five is, what is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired? And what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 60, 66, up from age 60 in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work. I think since 2008, I have been making the statement that I thought that the re, one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might, might have been in uh, recoveries past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen I, I, I off. I think he's right on it. I think he's because, right on it. Because if we've, got, if we've got 36% of the 55-plus age demographic that have saved less than $10,000 for retirement, how can they actually retire? The answer is that they can't. Unless they can live strictly off of off Social, Social Security. Security. Well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're 62, and you're saying no. the number right now is 61. And for Kyle, for me, it's 65. Well, what I, I mean, what, what, was, what was amazing, though, I think, in this last question, though, is that the average age of current retirees... They stopped at 61. They Which retired at they 61 retired before they, before could, get, they could get, get Social, Social Security. Security. And, now, and now workers are currently thinking about age 66. I mean, I Which think... Would, it would be after the majority of them start being able to collect and, Social And here's Security. something else that's interesting about this statistic. Remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s. So they worked 10, 12, 14 years before a 401k even existed. That's true. 
and, and, and really the IRAs had not been around that long. And so mm-hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every, you know, corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry alone. So I find it interesting that, that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age 61. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they, they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business, and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? Now, the answer to that is it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning. The large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so, 69% plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while 25% have worked for, uh, say they have worked for pay in, in retirement. So, I mean, that when 69% are planning to work in retirement, but in actuality only 25% do. So if you think, well, I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement. When I finally retire, I'll go get a part-time side job and, and earn money that way. Well, this, this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that, but very few actually go out and do it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%. C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C, 53%. And that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age. And the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, Reduce expenses. That's what we were right. just talking about. Reduce and hang expenses. on to your current job for as long as possible. But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then how no, could no, 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 yeah, yeah, one in so four. So how could so. only fifty three? How is it that fifty three percent have enough savings? That can't be. The number should be 26, 25. This number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National Retirement Risk Index at the Center for Retirement Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies, everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing... The few, we're seeing that one in four that has saved, mm-hmm. that has got this money. But you've got this other group that are relying on Social Security, and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it. That's right. 
When, and there's enough. Uh, and, and, and now we're we're going to get into politics. Now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen since Medicare in the '60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which it could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable Unaffordable Care Act? Act. Health Act. I mean, we don't know. And so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon, which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is is going to stay the same. Well, excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can. And now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010 deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this yeah, a this, few segments ago. Yeah. Let me get to the answer. Hold hold your horses there. Hold my water. <laughs> 14%, B, 17%, C, 20%, or D, 23%. And the answer is D, 23%. The average life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 19.1 years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life in retirement. Again, the key as to why you have to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day, how many more are retiring? And we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm snake. Just, I'm <laughs> saying baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's going to skew Social it, Security it's benefits It's going to skew entitlements. Yep. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the Poseidon. Okay, so question number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year in 2013, how much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections in 2012. So you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. Now, the re- but the remaining significantly larger than most. Now, this number is is significantly larger than most than most consumers estimate. And a Fidelity poll of pre-retirees age 55 to 64 found that nearly 48 percent believe that they will only need fifty thousand dollars to pay health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter medication, most dental services, and long-term care. See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical costs. Medical costs. Health care. 
And you guys, from time to time, kind of wade into, you know, what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years, and that is the cost, current cost of medical care, like a visit to a emergency room and what that can cost. $200,000? $220,000. That number is too low. Whatever that number is... I'd believe eight hundred thousand before I'd believe two hundred thousand because the truth is we don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that medical costs are spiraling way out of control, and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, we want to wrap up. So you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401Ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This is easy. Yeah, it actually might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is A, 5%. Only 1 in 20 savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional $5,500 you can save on top of $17,500 for anyone over the age of 50. So, I mean, num- that's, that's, that's shockingly been, you know, low. Well, well we, have been on, we have been on for a long time talking about low, participa- low participation rates in 401Ks. So you compound been, low participation with low contribution well, on lo- top lo- of that. Yeah, and you, when you add those two together... Then you're then it's very easy to see how someone how we have what was it thirty some odd thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars. That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee, participate. Question number eleven of the quiz. A household age 65 is living on one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, and at three percent inflation. How much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85? And I can answer that okay, question, Jeff. Ahead. At age 75 with 3% inflation, you would need $161,000. And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation while they're continuing to accept extremely low returns in this low interest rate environment by having high allocations to fixed income on their portfolios that that's right and that inflation is eroding purchasing power let me put it in a simpler way 
$5,000 grocery bill today would cost over $9,000 in 20 years. And I used to use also that car example, what your 67 Fastback cost versus what the average cost uh, of a car. $3,600. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over $30,000. That's inflation. Uh, question number 12, what percentage of households age 65 through 74 carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is 41% carry housing debt and 32% carry credit card debt. Now, this housing figure is from 2010 and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household age 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000, according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in 1989. Question number 13 from the quiz. What percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the, the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B. Only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those, 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day -day investment decisions on your retirement nesting, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day -day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, hopefully it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, if you're a, long, a younger, longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully this provided you some education and maybe motivated yeah. you to get on the ball to, as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your 50s, and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000. Don't think that it, you're completely hopeless to retire. You have time. You have to start yeah. saving. You have to start investing. Retirement saving is not a race. It's a marathon. That's right. And those who have you know, a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that, that are, I think, in, in the end, are going to have a much better retirement and and be much more comfortable. Now that's not to say for those for those of us that are list that are listening to our show that might be in that thirty six percent that have saved less than ten thousand dollars. It's never too late to get started. It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train for for that marathon. I, I, I like is that. Time, is time is time on your side? Well, you know you you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you should just give up, sit on your hands, and, and not at least make the effort to 
participate in that 401k that you have at, have at work and increase your contributions. Or if you've been to a many, like we, we continue to see many investors that have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not having, participating, not participating in the, in the stock side of the market, not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks, still sitting in cash, still sitting in high allocations to fixed income. It's never too late to, to start to make a change. And, and, you know, retirement planning would be extremely easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key, and pay yourself first and constantly be thinking about that prize, kind of like Jeff said, that marathon. There's a finish line at the end of that marathon. It's a long race, but you will eventually get to that finish line, and so you have to prepare and plan and for so it. So if you're not sure where you're at in your marathon, if you think you need to be saving more, if you're not if you're not sure what you own in, 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 in retirement, if you want to get a a, re, a and look at your retirement plan and see if am I invested in the right securities? You know, give give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'll be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And you can reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.